the fixies. Hard times, heavy times. Welcome to the Bomb Squad podcast. With me, I have... Hi, I'm Austin Zwiebelman. Hi, I'm Tim M. Sullivan. And I'm Ethan Hawker, hosting today's podcast on Fritz the Cat, the 1972 X-rated animated feature from Ralph Bakshi. First, before I get into the history and everything, I think I will actually ask you guys a two-part question. What is your history with animated furry pornography, and what were your expectations going into the film? <laughs> Who am I going to throw under the bus first? Uh, Austin. In my lifetime, uh, furry porn manifested in the form of mostly Newgrounds Flash animations about science. The Hedgehog characters. Then later, after 2016, Disney's Zootopia really breathed new life into the community. Personally, I'm not turned on by it, but I think I'm at the point in my life where I don't think it's an inherently harmful fetish. I've grown in that way. That's my character arc with that specific type of pornography. Expectations for Fritz the Cat. I expected it to look kind of like every other Western adult animated film at the time. You think of like Tarzoon, Shame of the Jungle, The Missing Link, you know, like X videos, Google, vintage animated porn, you know, disgusting movies that I associate with unpleasant smells, juvenile takes on sex and sensuality, an impromptu trip to boob world at some point. But beyond the look of the film, I was kind of excited to see the hot takes lampooning 1960s social archetypes. Like, I've always believed that lots of the things people in the 60s were fighting for are still being fought for today. So while I was certain that this would inform me of how society used to be, I was also curious if there were going to be any, like, jokes or takes in this that stood the test of time. Back to you. That's fair. I feel like Tarzoon and, like, Down and Dirty Duck and all that um, are, are particularly hard to go back to. And they, they're sort of what you think of when you think of cheapo exploitation adult animated films. But Fritz, I mean, Fritz certainly fits into that archetype a little bit. There's some, some roughness, but it looks a lot more polished than you would necessarily think. Tim. So I was going to do a bit on uh, the first part of that question, but Austin basically took my answer verbatim. <laughs> so I, I do have a bit of a history with Fritz. Um, I, I was one of those people who in high school tried to find very like edgy, controversial stuff. And uh, there was a period where I was just like scouring IMDb every day just to find different film things that I didn't know about. And so like Fritz the Cat was one of those movies that came across my radar when I was just like looking up X-rated movies and uh, found out that it was commonly referred to as the first X-rated animated film, which is not correct. What? The first one is actually A Thousand and One Nights, I believe. That's a contentious point. So Fritz is the first one to ever be rated X by the MPAA for the United States, but Cleopatra was given a self-ascribed X rating when it was released over here as Cleopatra, Queen of Sex, 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 <laughs> which uh, for those who don't know, uh, Thousand and One Nights and Cleopatra are both Mushi Productions adult animated films from 1969, Nice, and 1970, respectively. But yeah, it was it was one of those movies that uh, came across my radar when I was looking into all that kind of stuff. And so I remember checking it out. I think it was like my junior, senior year of high school. I looked into it and I watched like the first 10 or so minutes. And once I got to the bathtub orgy, I was like, I don't know if this is for me. So I kind of dropped off and then revisited it like a year or two ago, whenever it landed on Prime. 
and finally revisited it. And there's there's some parts of it that I enjoyed, some parts that didn't quite land with me, but we'll get more into that later. Uh, back to you, Ethan. That opening can kind of particularly turn people off. It's probably the most puerile the film gets. It's the, the one that's probably, I don't know, just off-putting, I guess, in a lot of respects. It lacks some of the introspection of later parts, some of the more interesting ideas. But it's got some funny bits. I like it. Uh, part one of that question, uh, when I was a young man, I played a little game called Sonic Adventure 2 Battle, and it ruined my life. As for the second part, my expectations going into the film, well, the first thing I actually ever had of Ralph Bakshi was uh, the Cool World soundtrack, which was given to my uh, mother by my uncle for no reason. My mom had no interest in Cool World. She'd never seen the film. She would hate it if she had, I'm sure, because it's not very good. I love Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. I love evil tunes. My first exposure to Ralph Bakshi was with the 1977 film Wizards, which of course references Fritz the Cat with the, um, they killed Fritz, those lousy stinking yellow fairies, etc., etc. And that sort of introduced me to the idea that, oh wait, outside of anime, Western cartoons can be made for adults. That's pretty neat. I kind of looked into Bakshi's filmography further from there, particularly uh, Heavy Traffic, which was a birthday gift for my 15th birthday from my mom, who didn't know any better. <laughs> I didn't tell her what it was about. And I, and I loved it. But it took me a long time to get to Fritz because I'd, I'd read about it. And despite like its significance, I'd also read that it was like a lot more dumb. Basically, it was like, oh, this is just heavy tra traffic, but worse. And at the, at the time I was, you know, 15. I didn't watch it for a little bit until I was really, I think, um, a sophomore in high school. And I liked it a lot. Er, it took some growing initially. I, revisiting it, I liked it more and more like every time I saw it, just because like it's not as good as heavy traffic. It's not nearly as thoughtful or good, but it, it's better entertainment, I guess. It's funnier in that it makes me laugh sometimes. It has sort of a dry sense of humor that I appreciate, but like going into it that first time, I was like sort of mixed. Uh, like I wasn't sure what to expect despite my love of this director, but it was a pleasant time and it's one that I enjoy more and more as I like my historical understanding broadens because this film is, is really important. Just sort of going into a brief background of it, uh, because Ralph Bakshi had previously only directed uh, television animation like Rocket Robin Hood and uh, Spider-Man, which is why there there's a brief scene in this where somebody refers to a character as Uncle Ben, uh, which I like. Um, I'm 90% sure that's an intentional homage because the first episode Bakshi directed was the origin of Spider-Man for season two. It's good at it's good up. Not gonna lie. But uh, this film from 1972, building on like the popular popularity of underground comics um, and the Beatles' Yellow Submarine, sort of establishing that you could you could sell cartoons to adults. Fritz was a huge, huge hit. Um, like the numbers on how much it made are weird and scattered. Like some people say five million, some say 90 million. Either way, it made several times its budget. And it was made by a lot of creatives with a lot of hot. Um, unlike that, uh, that sounded more like walking than Bakshi. I swear I can do a good one. Just a lot of really cool creatives getting together um, and making this movie in New York and then suddenly having to move production to California halfway through, which is such a mess. Um, and the final product kind of shows it. But the fact that it was made at all is incredible. And that's sort of a long rambling answer to it, to my own question that I asked myself. <laughs> but no, for you guys, what were your overall thoughts on the film as sort of a part one? And then what did you think about the ending especially, Tim? So yeah, I guess uh, overall thoughts on the film. Uh, I, I do enjoy it after having given it a second and third chance. I, I don't think it's uh, his strongest work, but I do kind of like, I see it as sort of like a blueprint for what Bakshi would 
end up becoming. And like, I really love a lot of his uh, later works. Like American Pop is just such a fucking awesome movie. And like, I, I really enjoy Wizards. I really enjoy Fire and Ice. Cool World is one that exists. Um, I do think it has like a lot going for it, particularly like given its time, it's it's very much a standout movie. I think it has some funny humor. What One particular just like one off line that always gets me is when he's just like uh, standing up on the car talking <laughs> to all the crows and then just like you hear some guy go, get the fuck off my car. Bosses, they ride around in limousines. Get the fuck off my Bosses, car. I don't know what it is about that line. <laughs> but it, it's so funny to me. I, I think another thing that was like an initial put off to me was like in the first like couple minutes you see Fritz is just like this kind of like Holden Caulfield wannabe guy and like I had like just read Catcher in the Rye like a year or two ago and it's like I'll oh, fuck off but <laughs> I think I think watching it now and like have it watching it all the way through I have this greater appreciation of like it's kind of lampooning that like it's kind of just making him look like a dumbass and a narcissist oh overall solid and uh, I guess my thoughts on the ending I don't I don't have anything too especially deep to say about the ending but like I I, I think it's fun just like the end reveal that he's alive and he's still horny like that's that's funny to me so I guess that's basically the gist of what I've got uh, back to you Ethan that's interesting I mean I, I definitely agree with the points about liking Bakshi's Fantasy Fair and American Pop is so good it's dying for a Blu-ray release um, mm -hmm. we need more than just the the American Pop Cowboy Bebop the movie double feature DVD which it exists for some reason. We, we need the American Pop Cowboy Bebop double feature Blu-ray because neither of those have a good Blu-ray that's widely available. Yes, that's how we fix this. That's how we win. At the ending, I think that's that's an interesting take too. I might disagree with that, but there there is something to be said about it as like not being a downer too. I think considering the rest of the tone of the film, yeah. for sure. Austin overall thoughts, things that stood out, and uh, opinions on that ending. You just want to put the Clockwork Orange I was cured over the ending of him bouncing around <laughs> the top of the room. There was a, a Salinger-influenced cat jerk in the rye cut of this where he just says phonies a lot. <laughs> I think that the opening scene, like right off the bat, sums up what you get with almost this whole movie. These construction workers having a conversation that sounds straight out of real life. They're discussing the rift that forms when people who lived like Christian blue collar lives, when they send their kids to college and watch them become these high-minded idealists out of nowhere. And the animation heightens the whole experience. They pick their ears, they're spurting out like a comical amount of hot sauce on their lunch. It makes them look like grotesque and stupid. That's the rubric for the whole film. Everybody's made to look kind of grotesque and stupid while they engage in these familiar everyday interactions. But then one of them goes over to take a piss and you get the second ingredient for this stew. Uh, when the movie's not doing satire, it's existing just to show you cartoons doing X-rated things. 
and I think sometimes the balance tips a little bit to one side. Uh, for every scene that you have making fun of how hippies have conformist uh, attitudes about stuff, you have this drawn-out orgy that's just about the raunchy sex. For every scene about, like, white people reducing the black struggle to an academic curiosity, you have Fritz getting uber-baked and chasing someone through a junkyard trying to hump them. Like, this movie has bits that still work fine. Gags about police brutality and academia and revolution, but they're almost weighed down by these moments of shock value, which mysteriously aren't as well written. And as for the ending, I think it's absolutely hilarious how bad they played that hand. Like, trying to get an emotional moment out of Fritz after a whole movie of him being like a self-centered douche just makes you wonder if like production interpreted the material they were making like normal people would. It's not exactly how I'd write it, and the moment felt a little flat for me. As much as I was excited to see our boy was okay, there's like a cheap novelty to the vulgarity in this movie, but Fritz is much more exciting to me when it's doing observational comedy. Yeah, I think that's um, completely fair. I think the observational comedy is what stands out. Um, the the sex stuff is like a draw. Like, I feel like that's the stuff where you're, tr you're going to get butts in seats, kind of, in a way, um, especially in 72, when that was a big draw for um, a lot of that particular audience of, like, college students and, and horny weirdos and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I specifically remember at one point in class, Pete was talking about The Godfather, and he's like, oh, the two big movies that came out the year The Godfather came out were Frisk the Cat, X-Rated Cartoon, and Behind the Green Door. Straight up porn. I fucking love Beyond the Green Door. I love that factoid. Every time Pete says it. Yeah, the early 70s were a really good time if you wanted to have like really financially successful pornography. Which takes back. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I guess this is sort of a belated disclaimer, but I would not I would not classify Fritz as porn, really. Um, uh, sex happens in it, but I don't think it ever strives for eroticism. <laughs> but um, for my overall thoughts on it, I think it's good. I think it's um, a lopsided good. It's less than the sum of its parts. You can read my thoughts on it at zekefilm.com.org <laughs> <laughs> slash uh, I'll, I'll just put a link. I, I do writing work, um, and I wrote reviews of this this film, and also Cleopatra and a Thousand One Nights, and also this theme, film's terrible sequel, which sucks and is bad, and I hate it. Nah. Um, <laughs> but um, no, the the moments of like it is very much weighed down by like the weird kind of sex scene stuff, and that um, that ending. God, I'll discuss that in a second though. Um, but there are so many genuinely funny scenes. I really like the um, the sequence in the synagogue. I love uh, Fritz burning down the university. Like he like he has this very self centered sort of tirade and then when it, it, he sees the actual consequences of his action it's just sort of him like meekly like I'll get a blanket the blanket's on fire I love that line um, <laughs> my parents are gonna kill me that kind of shit um, it's very very good when it's a bit more dry like that I think the stuff with the crows is overall I think handled pretty elegantly all things considered it, it tends to place the impetus on the police like doing violence and like I feel like the crows are the only sympathetic characters in the film, really. Everyone else is kind of shrewish or just mean or a Nazi or a <laughs> cop. What's the difference? Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Um, I, uh, Duke in particular. This movie does have a woman, women problem, uh, which is probably like the most consistent thing in, in Bakshi's filmography. That's uh, the most frustrating. But despite that, I think it's slightly mitigated um, on some level again by the fact that everyone overall is pretty unlikable aside from uh, some of the crows and particularly Duke 
God bless Duke. Uh, Duke's death is, it's really a herald of things to come with like poetic backshe with stuff like, um, like you get in heavy traffic. Um, there are some genuinely poetic sequences, particularly like Ida leaving the bar, leaving the club as she remembers her childhood, which I, was a sequence I love, or like the, the Malcolm the Cockroach from Coonskin. But uh, then it, the last third of it, basically as soon as he leaves the city, not as good, like it starts getting worse and then he leaves Winston and then it's mostly just bad or like pretty uneven. There's one really great shot of uh, like of a tear zooming out. Like you see sort of the like crosses reflected in a tear. So gorgeous. I love that shot to death. And then uh, the big explosion far out, which it was supposed to end there, of course, but um, his producer, Stephen Krantz said, hey, give it a happy ending. And, and Bakshi tended to kind of fold to like producer mandates like that uh, more often than you'd think for a relatively iconoclastic director. Then we got the ending we got, which it's not satisfying. Like, I feel like Fritz should die because he's awful and I hate him. He's a bad person, and like I think the, the sort of perfect demise for him is sort of muttering about how this is terrible, I'm going to do the right thing, as he does the exact wrong thing, is sort of the perfect encapsulation of his character. So having having him win, quote-unquote, at the end, I was like, ah, that doesn't, that doesn't track. And then it left it, more than, more than anything, it left the door open for a terrible, awful sequel, which that's the real reason they should have killed Fritz. They didn't kill Fritz! <laughs> they didn't kill Fritz! There's a lot to like in the film, even even if like a lot of Bakshi's films, it doesn't quite achieve that poetic pacing of them, but it still has that hodgepodginess of awkwardness where all the stories are sort of segmented in a way that doesn't quite work as well as it does in later works, I should say. But uh, moving on to not just, you know, the, the film's narrative elements and comedy, the aesthetics, sort of like what Austin brought up from the start. How do you feel the aesthetic holds together? Like there is a certain lack of cohesion, I think, sometimes, at least in terms of quality control, but it is certainly distinct with its underground comics visual style and eclectic, let's be more charitable, yeah, eclectic animation and layouts and its distinctive soundtrack. Uh, so what did you think about those elements, Austin? I really think that Fritz holds together the animation specifically. That's a big time yes for me on does the animation hold together. The backgrounds do a spectacular job of capturing the way New York City used to be a huge, surreal sewer, like a gross Sodom and Gomorrah-esque hell. The anthropomorphic character design also lets you know so much about like how they're trying to depict people within the, the jokey situations. Although it's obligatory to state that the crows are likely to be read as a type of blackface these days. Most of these designs just like turbocharge the satire. Like you have these evil and caps who are depicted as these tiny animals that normally scurry away from people and they just brutally assault a giant loving horse. Like, it just lights up that LSD part of your brain. And man, those establishing shots where it's like the city's drawn to mimic like fisheye lenses. What a gimmick. I haven't seen that. And the rainbow gel overlays and the sort of rainbow airbrush background mats like you get with the, the rabbis on the couch. That was far out. Like for a movie where I've heard there were animators protesting production because they thought it was smut. I got to say, like Fritz's animation is really stellar for being the first adult animation out of the gate in America after the Hayes Code. I really think that part holds up. Most definitely. I think uh, it's got a super distinctive style. Uh, it's one something where it's clearly benefiting from like the 
development of uh, Xerox in particular, because they can do those hatching lines for the shading on the characters that you could not do in animation before then, because th then you'd have to do the pencils and then trace over them. Um, good old Ubi works once again, saving the day. If we didn't have 101 Dalmatians, we'd never have Fritz. But yeah, and the distinctive backgrounds with the, the tracing photographs they took on a trip to New York and all that, uh, the colors, God. Yeah, no, like, I, mean, I know I'm, on some level I'm just repeating the exact same thing you're saying, but it's like, wow, it still looks really impressive. Um, but uh, yeah, Tim, your thoughts? So I think it definitely holds up. I think it's a good one to look at just like on the scale of um, like Bakshi's works, because I think it's it looks different from a lot of them because a lot of uh, the stuff that he's animated is focuses more on like uh, rotoscoping for the that kind of hyper realistic kind of look. And this is definitely more of a kind of uh, stylized cartoony kind of look. The way that it kind of blends in with the uh, backgrounds is always interesting. I still haven't seen heavy traffic, but uh, from what I've seen of it, it did looks like it has sort of a similar style to that overall i think it, I think it has a solid aesthetic to it and uh I think, yeah i think it's a I think it's a good movie agreed um <laughs> movie yeah. good, movie movie good. good. Um, I, I do have a little bit to say on this too because it sort of goes back to those those production issues particularly uh the well the backgrounds because i did i did mention the audio um and then both the audio and the backgrounds are sort of sourced from the same place because they went on you know they were, were based out of new york so they went on trips where they would go around um, taking photos of all these locations and they would have um, the background iris artist Ira Turek he would trace them roughly and using the exact same pen that um uh, Crumb used. It was a type of radiograph pen to sort of replicate his lines. And I like it because it's clearly done freehand where you can see the little errors and where like his hand was shaking, that sort of thing. Um, it adds a lot of a very distinct quality to the animation um, combined with like those really vivid watercolor, like sometimes very vivid, sometimes very muddy watercolors used throughout. But another thing they did while they were out was they did record man on the street stuff, um, like just with random people. That's why like the opening sequence was just people they saw on the street street and they recorded them. They would ask interview questions, that sort of thing. All the crows in the bar before you meet Fritz and Duke, uh, it's the same thing there where they just actually recorded people. That's a thing where that I really love about the dialogue is people kind of cut people off in a way you don't see in animated films in a really kind of naturalistic way. It's something he does more in Heavy Traffic, I think, um, in Coonskin. It's really something that you didn't see, this sort of urban, this very urban sort of grungy aesthetic that still aspires to it time is be beautiful, which I think it achieves. One of the sequences that jumps out to me is Winston and Fritz leaving the city in particular. Uh, the, you know, morphing watercolors as they go out um, in the long stretch of homages to various crumb comics in the form of big neon signs. The way it creates spaces for these characters to exist in that like are kind of liminal, literally, yeah, creating liminal spaces as transitions between sequences. Like, I love how experimental and weird the bow did sequences where it's just this crow in the foreground snapping its fingers as it slowly zooms in on the scene with um, like the changing colors on it. Just really interesting ideas, even if they don't come coalesce necessarily at times, even if they don't quite land. I just love them. I love them so much. Um, I love seeing animators do cool things uh, with the medium that other people weren't necessarily trying, even if it doesn't quite work. 
Oh, um, animation specifically, I did want to get into. It's obvious that they didn't really have a proper animation director because there are, there are scenes that are clearly not corrected in any capacity. So you see a lot of stuff where, like, you can tell a certain artist's style, um, and, and some of them are, are particularly rough as a result. They couldn't even do pencil tests, let alone corrections for this. For the most part, it was just flipping through their drawings. Very, very old-fashioned sort of way of going about it, but that's how you make a, a animated feature for less than $500,000. But sometimes it works. Sometimes they end up with some really good, snappy animation. Again, like Fritz's monologue, a sequence is really stellar character animation you get from him. And then sometimes you get the, the scene, that really flat scene of uh, the one with the pig cop when he crashes through the window and it's so soft and squishy and it doesn't, yeah, it looks like crap. I also really like the soundtrack and score by Ed Bogus and Ray Shanklin and also all the other tracks that included in the soundtrack. They're good. It's good. It's a good soundtrack. I own it on vinyl. Ooh! But that's, that's pretty much the aesthetics. There's this one scene where they're up in the woman's apartment, Fritz and Duke, and they go to like the, the wide angle lens of them sort of running and being very high. And I was quite impressed by that cut. Oh yeah, yeah, I totally forgot. But yes, I love the stuff they do there. Like they do a lot of clever things, particularly with um, crossfades. They do a lot of clever things with crossfades to kind of cover up some of the animation deficiencies at times, but it does add sort of a dreamy quality to it that I really like. Um, and yeah, that, that particular segment of the, the birth of the sequence is really good. I mean, the riot sequence is also, I think, really the most cohesive in a lot of respects. Um, and it has a lot of good ideas in it, even if some really gratuitous and like grounded animation, like Duke's death aside, there's one of like a pig cop being bowled over and you see their guts fly out. But yeah, that's sort of, that's the animation. That's the aesthetic in a nutshell. It's really neat overall. And I guess that brings us to final thoughts. Um, Tim, start with you. Um, yeah, I mean, this is definitely a movie that I've grown to appreciate more uh, the more that I've watched it. And uh, I don't think it's uh, Bakshi's strongest work, but I think it's a solid uh, foundation that led to a lot of really great films from him. It's also just a, such a great gateway to being able to do more with the medium of animation. And uh, it definitely helps pave the way for a lot of things that I enjoy now. For sure, for sure. Like, its its significance, at least, uh, can mm -hmm. be understated, even if some might disagree about its quality. Austin, final thoughts? To sort of mimic something you guys said earlier, Fritz is like a modern-day blockbuster, but instead of, like, expensive action set pieces, it has these really raunchy bits that try to push the boundaries as far as possible. Just ultimate edge lordery. At the time, some of the selling points was the, the sex, the drugs, and the violence. And while that sputter spectacle kind of gives the film this unique feeling adult edge, its satirical trappings feel equally daring at times, like like pig cops, you know, with their dicks out. And, and those, to me, aged a lot better as far as entertainment value goes. Like, if people can stomach some of the gross nonsense that happens, there's some really, really funny bits in here. If you're studying animation, the history of animation, or 60s counterculture, this is a must-watch. Otherwise, I tell some people, like, watch out. It might play just as poorly to the uninitiated as, like, some shorts off the censored 11. You gotta be careful, but if this is what you're looking for, I think more often than not, people are gonna have a good time with this. 
for sure, for sure. I think you definitely have to prime the pump uh, for it too, because there's a lot of, of Bakshi history to it. And like, you know, he grew up in a, in a Jewish ghetto as a young man. He went to an all-black school, um, which offered him relatively more perspective, you know, as the only white guy there, which offered him a bit more perspective. And also the fact that um, as a general rule, he, A, employed more minorities at his studio, women and black men in particular, but also um, in 1977, he hired one of the first black women to work in animation, Brenda Banks. She briefly worked at the Warner studio prior, but he had no idea about that. She just walked into his studio and said, I want to make cartoons. And he just looked baffled for a moment and was like, yeah, do some tests and we'll see. And then she did tests for Wizards. Uh, she did some of the goon animation for the crowd shots and he loved it and hired her immediately and she stayed with the studio until its closure. So like, I, it can certainly be argued that it's not his place to say these things. Like he, he probably should have should have deferred to others and he has problems with depicting women. But I think the satirical quality qualities of the film are not quite as pointed as they are in later films, but they're probably funnier than they are in later films. The uh, the gross out stuff is, it, it is what it is. I can appreciate it as a boundary pushing thing, but it, it, it often runs a bit too long. But despite that, I think there's there's a lot of gold here. Um, and if, if you want to see what this movie would have looked like, um, if it was like what I think most people's like worst possible interpretation of it is, go watch Nine Lives of Fritz the Cat. Um, that's the basically the only merit to that film is like it makes you appreciate the original all the more. But the original is pretty darn good and significant and definitely worth a look. And that's it for today. Uh, class, you're dismissed. You've done your homework. We did the podcast. No, for all our wonderful listeners out there, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. It boosts us in the algorithm, and it's great. If you want to enjoy an uncensored version, um, and this is an episode where you might actually want to pursue that a bit more than the others, because there's there's a lot to censor. I imagine this one's just going up on YouTube uncensored. I, I don't know if it's even going up on Spotify with the black bars removed. I I don't know if we could just drop animated nudity on Spotify like that. Mostly uncensored then <laughs> um, on Spotify video, at least all all the curses. Yeah, check out the Spotify video version um, or the audio version on your podcatcher of choice. Be sure to give it um, five stars, thumbs up, uh, dependent upon whichever your, again, service of choice uses. And be sure to check out our Patreon um, where you can help support the great things we do here at the Bomb Squad podcast. We'll do something with it if you give us money. That's the rule. And Fund next, our first feature film. <laughs> exactly. You'll, you'll hear, see it first. You remember this booty movie? <laughs> we'll, we'll be like him. And next week, join the Bomb Squad as we journey into the uncanny valley for Richard Linklater's <laughs> latest animated feature, <laughs> Apollo Ten and a Half. <laughs> Get the fuck off my car. <laughs> oh, is that the ending line? Because that was fucking excellent. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. Hard Very stop. Well. Yeah. <laughs>